for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. It is Marsh and Mello for a Monday, October 18th, 2021. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are, if you're a Canadian football fan, thank you for being here. As always, we do appreciate it. Uh, I want to start today's podcast by saying stick around until the end when I'm going to throw in a 10-minute chunk of a podcast that we did back in, I want to say, the fall, early winter of 2020. Uh, that was the Rod Black Fake Grey Cup edition of the uh, the CFP podcast. You remember that, Kyle. I played it on radio for you after I had done it with him. And you finished the entire three-hour show on radio by saying, what the hell did I just listen to? And then we just ended the radio show. <laughs> yes, I do remember the interview with Rod Black. It was sad news this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And we'll dig into that coming up in just a second. First, I want to say hello, good morning, and thank you to our good friends from Fox 40. If you want to get geared up for game day, head over to fox40shop.com. We couldn't do this podcast without them. We are eternally grateful to Fox 40. So get your gear, whistles, coaching boards, and more using the promo code CFP15 at checkout. You get 15% off of your order, not just for football season year round. They got all sorts of great stuff there. And of course, Sawdust City Brewing, you can always get yourself brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website, sawdustcitybeer.com, shop their wide variety of brews and learn more. And of course, use the promo code there. CFL, CFL is where you can go to be able to get all of that. Uh, I was shocked. Uh, I was shocked by a lot of this that came out uh, about Rod Black and stepping away because I've been outside of the people who are the higher ups of TSN and his own family and maybe Dwayne Ford. I've been as close to Rod in the last month or so as I think anybody. Uh, And I'm not trying to make this about myself in any way. I'm just saying like I've been in Zoom calls in and around him. We had an entire episode here of marshmallow not that long ago two weeks ago was it that was yeah uh, that was called i'm not marshall ferguson because <laughs> because that was the game in which rod black had uh essentially taken the call of the argos alouettes game uh from the, that i thought i was doing and then they threw to toronto to bmo field and rod smith said now off to bmo it's Dwayne ford and marshall ferguson and rod black said i'm not marshall ferguson hello canada rod black Welcome to the Alouettes and the Argonauts. Uh, so when I saw the news, and I actually found out from from DT, from Derek Taylor, he texted me and said, Broad Black out. And I immediately, I like recoiled. I'm like, oh no, like what's wrong, right? And I think that's what a lot of people did was, you know, did he, did he get canceled or was there some sort of uh, you know, health concern or something had to go dramatically wrong in your minds? It turns out, Broad Black essentially saying like, my contract's up. I see the way the business is trending. I've been here forever and I'm deciding to to kind of go out on his own terms. I don't know if that's really true. That's not for me to decide, but uh, to, to look back at his career and what he's accomplished in the CFL, but obviously in much, much more than just Canadian football, yeah. that dude is inspiring. Like to me, he is, he's somewhere between like Jim Nance and Rob Lowe. 
in terms of he's this mixture of fame and infamy because when you're famous to that level on television for that long there's no way that you're going to make everybody like you so he was constantly banged on when people were watching cfl games but now he says you know what i'm done and there's (laughs) all those people that were screaming oh my god rod black's on this game i can't stand rod black i don't like his call football games where where (laughs) are they they're they're gone right because everyone's like damn and it's almost like people loved to hate him just because it made them feel comfortable, maybe in their own insecurities, right. Where they were like, they just needed something to be angry about. And so they would lash out at him because he was the person with the microphone. I think that dude was exceptional at calling Canadian football games. I respect so much of what he's done in and around the game and uh, watching Dwayne Ford piece together his thoughts on their relationship over the years, I thought was really inspiring because as, as a young broadcaster, as young broadcasters, Kyle, we, we aspire to have that type of connection to the audience and we aspire to uh, also have that connection with the people that we work with so that when one of us gets bounced or one of us retires, yeah. it feels like that. Yeah, so two things. One, on the hate that Rod Black gets calling CFL games, I've realized something. Uh, there are, I don't know if it's a minority or a large majority <laughs> that don't like anything. Mm-hmm. but they love the CFL. It's weird. I almost draw a correlation to the UFC. UFC fans, they don't like anything. They don't like anybody, anything. It's, it's, it's weird. They didn't like uh, Mike Goldberg, who was the, the play-by-play guy uh, for the UFC for many, many years. And then he gets replaced. And then John Anik steps in. And then I like John Anik. And it's like, I, I, I can't do it. They're like two different types of broadcasters. You don't like either of them. Right. So for the CFL, Rod is... I would even put Rod as uh, he's a staple. He's a staple of the CFL Absolutely. and has been a staple for a long time. Um, and yeah, it was, it was sad to, to hear this week. Uh, Rod is, is bigger than even football fans will realize. So my, my girlfriend's mother is in love with figure skating. She knows nothing about the CFL, but she loves Rod Black. Yep. She's like, Oh, Rod Black is a figure skating guy. He's always on the, on the figure skating coverage. And my memories of Rod Black actually aren't even from the CFL. My, my favorite Rod Black moment ever, he said one word. And it was the 2010 Olympics, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. And they do their ice dance. And it was perfect. And there's a huge applause, standing ovation. And Rod doesn't speak through any of it. Yeah, he gets out and of the way. He gets out of the way. And then the, you know, the, the, the ovation kind of, you know, slows down and Rod Black just goes flawless. And that's all he said. And I was like, geez, that was, that was chilling. I was in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> le- less is more. And again, the art of being a broadcaster, he understands all of those nuances, but here's my favorite thing about Rod. And it's tough to nail down one, because again, I, he called the Vanier cup in 2011, that McMaster won that I was a player on. So he was the one that coined alongside Dwayne for best game ever, right? That game was on TSN yeah. and, and the idea of best game ever. We had that on shirts. We, I mean, the marketing slogan for the 2012 Vanier Cup was best game ever, dot, 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 again. Spoiler alert, it was not the best game ever again. It was kind of a crappy game. Uh, but that, that slogan, like his ability to hit it, even, man, think about this. When <laughs> I was in awe of this because I was thinking so much about my debut doing play-by-play for the CFL and TSM. Rod Black was not on the schedule 
to call a lot of football games this year because he was at the Women's World Hockey Championship in Calgary. Yeah, to start the season. Right. So he had the first game of the year, which was Hamilton-Winnipeg, and then he disappeared because he went into that bubble and couldn't come in and out, and he couldn't even go call Stampeders games. So he was just – he was in there. And if you really think about that, like his ability to turn down, move aside, whatever you want to call it, from doing – uh, you know, men's professional football, the gladiator sport that every person who gets into mainstream broadcasting has dreams of broadcasting, you know, that big sport on that big stage on that main platform. And he's like, I'm going to do women's hockey. And mm-hmm. he, and he, not only that, he does an incredible job of it to the point where, where you end up having the, the championship winning goal streaking down the middle of the ice, right? I believe it was Marie Philippe Plan. Yeah. And, and what was his call of that? Because this this was stunning to me. How he the greatest broadcasters are the ones who can take what's happening in front of their eyes and turn it into words in milliseconds. Now sometimes you get out of the way, like you're saying, with figure skating reference. Yeah. But sometimes you're able to turn something around that's magic in the shortest period of time possible. And it's something that I have always appreciated of of broadcasters. And in his call on that goal was uh, here, you know, whatever streaking down the ice, blah blah blah. Oh. She thinks she scored. She th- and it, to turn it from she shoots, she scores. The call kind of got ruined, <laughs> right? But it was, but it was so <laughs> great situation. Because, because it was him painting the imagery for you, and it wasn't the cookie cutter. She shoots, she scores. Canada wins. Oh, hang on a second here. We have to go back and review. He, I don't again. I don't know whether he does this stuff consciously or if it's just this innate skill that's been built over many yeah. many years of being a top end broadcaster. But he was avoiding the awkwardness of that situation, having to retract his own excitement. And then it's like when you score a touchdown, right? And you don't know if there's a flag on the play or not. It's like, touchdown! Oh, there's a flag. And then we all have to wait. And then it's awkward. And then if it is a touchdown, it's holding, defense, penalties decline. Hey, it is a touchdown. Hey, It's like one of the worst things in broadcasting is <laughs> excitement. Oh, we're not sure. Oh, I should have just been excited the whole time. It's like, yeah. we, we don't know. And in that call, he says, she says she scored. And now every single person that's watching that hockey game is going, did she? <laughs> did she? Like, and because he's making you wonder, like she's convinced. Yeah. But, but we don't know. And and you would think that she would know the best. And he paints that. And again, it's the simple phrasing of these things. That's so great. And I even heard uh, the, actually I'll pull it up here and just play the audio for people uh, that are listening to the pod here, him doing the first ever Raptors broadcast, the opening of it, like aside from having the world's most glorious mustache, which is (laughs) the first thing you need to, I I think he should have never, when did I want to actually do a podcast with Rod Black and just ask him like, when, when did the mustache go? Because I don't know when it was, but I it should have stayed much much longer because it is late nineties. I mean, again, I don't. My timeline's pretty fuzzy on this stuff because you know I was a youth. Uh, but this <laughs> this was posted by Brian Swain. I want to play it for you here. Is the uh, the Rod Black opening to the Raptors' first ever broadcast? It's it's iconic. It's NBA on CTV. A great night for basketball in Canada. The Raptors and Nets here at CTV and here in Skydome. The Vancouver Grizzlies beginning their season in Portland. We'll have the opening tip-off as soon as it happens. We'll also have highlights in the second half. The Grizzlies home opener on Sunday here on CTV against Minnesota. But first to tonight and the Raptors hoops dream and the dream of rookie point guard Damon Stoudemire. So smooth. So smooth, like just dancing and bopping and weaving and finding his way through it. Hey, Vancouver, we got this and go to Canada basketball and that. 
Like, and that's, that's pretty early days type stuff as well. And he's covered so many Olympics as well. I, uh, but I just, I know I'm rambling here about Rod cause I could talk forever about him cause I have a yeah. lot of love for him, but I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap the thought on this note. Okay. Um, when I was calling games for the tiger cats on radio, there would be these walkthrough sit downs with the teams and at Tim Hortons field, I think it was the first time that uh, <laughs> I basically just snuck into the room. Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, it's, there's really no other way to say it. it it's usually it's the, the producer uh, is kind of lingering around, you know, John Hines, Chris Edwards, any of those great talents, and then Dwayne Ford and, and whoever's calling the game in Hamilton, uh, whether it be Rod Black or Cuthbert or otherwise. And the one time I was just kind of like standing in the hallway and they went, oh, okay, uh, you know, Masoli's coming in or Kent Austin's coming in. And I just kind of like said, can I come in? And they said, yeah, sure, whatever. So I went and sat down in the room, just sat in the back, grabbed a chair and was welcomed with open arms and heard those conversations, which again, you play 15 second snippets of that on the broadcast, but those are, those are 10, 15 minute conversations, right? So I, I got to sit in on those. It helped my understanding. It helped make my radio call better, but it was also just about understanding how you do that job and the way you carry yourself and the questions that you ask and the relationships that you connect and every single person that would walk into that room, Blackie would give him a Mr. O'Shea. Excellent to see you. Like he's just, he was this ball of energy that um, it informed my opinion on how that job needs to be held. Now everybody does it differently, but mm-hmm. he, he was able to, um, to welcome me into that room that I really didn't deserve to be in. And then I did it a couple of times in Hamilton and it got to the point where when we're on the road in Winnipeg, is Rod calling that game? Yeah. Great. Okay. I, he says, hey, come on in. Then all of a sudden we're on the road in Ottawa. I'm sitting in. Now it's a playoff game. Tie Cats aren't even playing. I'm not even calling the game on radio. Whatever. I just sit in the room. And I would just dive into these day before sit downs. And Rod invited me into those. And, uh, and I'm forever thankful for that because it helped inform me on so much of the inner workings of this relationship between the CFL and TSN. Yeah. And uh, so that's something that I've, I've really, really been thankful for. And then just uh, the other thing that people don't realize, because I know people think like, oh, you know, he's the guy that rhymes all the time and he can be a bit cheesy as a broadcaster. Rod Black is so bleeping funny. Like it, behind the scenes. Yeah. He is uproariously funny and uh and 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 i think that's why Dwayne ford on the broadcast of ottawa montreal this week was a little bit sad obviously but he was talking more about the connection that rod had with people because it's a people business and the idea that um he he made everybody excited to come in because the real reason for this i don't i don't know if Dwayne said it is that it didn't matter if you were the first person on the roster like Dwayne ford or the 90th that was the cameraman that was uh, camera four down in the end zone he'd be just as likely to walk past you and crack a joke and make you smile. And I'm like, that's, I know I'm talking about him. Like he's dead. He's not. Yeah. But, but, but I love the impact that he had on everybody around him. And as a broadcaster, again, that's something that you aim to create an environment that feels like that, because that is, that's like Jim Taddy type stuff, right? That we work with Jim where he makes every room feel a little bit more alive because he's got that energy and that connection to everybody. And it's just, and, and that's something that I feel like uh, is kind of aging out of the business of broadcasting. It's a very cold, heartless business of you show up, you call the game, you get your mm-hmm. check, you know, it, and Rod made it feel very human. So I think that's the thing that I, I appreciate the most about it. Yeah. 
Um, we've had a lot of conversations with Rod Black on air, but um, obviously it's been us two interviewing Rod and talking about the CFL. And you have a much closer relationship with Rod than I do. Um, but 2019 Grey Cup, um, you were doing stuff for CFL.ca. So I was hosting Marshmallow in the afternoon by myself and Rod joined me on air. And I had to hit break because our conversation went like 15, 20 minutes. I hit the break uh, because we had traffic. And I asked Rod if he wanted to stick around for another segment. And we did. So we ended up having like a 35 <laughs> minute conversation just about the CFL and the history of the Great Cup. And it was great. And, you know, Rod didn't have to do that. But, you know, he loves talking football and he loves talking sports. Uh, this is sorry. This is my last actual one because I got so again, so many of these stories when you're, <laughs> when you're around the dude, things just come to your mind. I'll never forget realizing. So my first year working for TSN radio was 2015. Okay. So I'm calling McMaster Marauders football games. I'm not doing the Ticats call yet. I wanted to, but I, it seemed like a very lofty expectation. Yeah. I thought, I thought they didn't hire me out of the, out of the gate. They're not going to hire me now to do it. Little did I know in 2016, I would start calling those games, but I spent the whole year grinding doing Ticats pre halftime post game show, calling McMaster Marauders games, doing the afternoon drive show on TSN Hamilton. And uh, for whatever reason, our boss, Mike Neighbors, said, uh, we're going to send you to the Grey Cup. It's in Winnipeg in 2015. It was the year that Chris Jones and the Edmonton Blanks ended up defeating the Ottawa Red Blacks and Henry Burris. Mm -hmm. and, and I was really thankful for that. Uh, but because I was a stupid young person idiot who had just basically graduated university the year before, mm -hmm. what do you think I did when I went to Winnipeg? And oh, by the way, one of my friends had enough frequent flyer miles that he came with me, one of my high school buddies. We partied for four straight days. <laughs> like we drank our faces off for four straight days because we were idiots. And we went to every, I, the first night we were there on the Thursday night, we went to some dive bar in Winnipeg. The ATM accidentally spit out an extra 40 bucks at me. We went straight to the bar. We bought extra. Like it was just, it was mayhem. We, we went to Winnipeg without a hotel room for Thursday and Friday. we got our flights in. Cause we we're like, all right, we're just going to get there and figure it out. It was to the point where we were scrolling through dating apps, trying to figure out if anybody had a place for us to crash <laughs> because we were sitting, we were sitting at a Denny's, I think in Winnipeg, having a beer being like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Pull out your phone, start swiping, right. And see if anybody matches. And if they need anybody to like crash out at their place, I'm like, we didn't know how else to do this. We ended up getting uh, a former McMaster Marauders brother who worked in the beer industry uh, for somehow, I don't even know if we reached out to it. I think he saw that we were just in Winnipeg and he's like, we've got a block of hotel rooms at the Holiday Inn way out here. We're like, great. Uh, so we crashed out there. So the moral of the story is I was an idiot. I went out there. I was unprofessional. I was super young. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't go to any of the Grey Cup events. I didn't go to press conferences. I didn't go. I wasn't there to work. I was there to have fun. And boy, did I ever. And then Sunday night of the Grey Cup happens and I had like a 4 a.m. flight to get back. Uh-huh. And I spent the whole Grey Cup sitting in the stands drinking Caesars from the Rum Hut. <laughs> and so by the time, I think I stayed out. That's the title of a book. Yeah. From the uh, Rum Hut. <laughs> so Caesars from the Rum Hut. But I stayed out on Grey Cup Sunday, like ended up getting back into the hotel room, turned right around, went right back out to try and maximize the fun. Some people from the Great Cup game were still going out and having fun. Ended up meeting up with the CFL and TSN panel. Jock Climey was still on it at that point and done again. And Rod Smith, we ended up back in a hotel room and having some drinks back there. And then it's like, well, you know, I've got two hours until, uh, you know, I got to 
get back on, on the flight to go back home. And I decided, well, I'll just, I'll go to the airport. I get to the airport and the first voice that I hear after I go through security and I get to my gate about an hour and a half before the plane takes off is Rod Black. And what is Rod Black doing? Radio hits around the country, recapping the Great Cup. Totally not there to party, like not loose cannon like me, not idiot, young, stupid broadcaster. That dude had just done the national radio call as he did when 2019, when I was working with him as well. Yeah. And, I, and uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm laughing, thinking of another, the first game we ever broadcast on TSN 1150 Hamilton was uh, Hamilton, Toronto, I believe preseason game. And I was on the sidelines and the first person who ever threw to me on TSN radio was Rod Black in the booth with Chris Schultz. How cool is that? Oh, that's like, cool. Like, that's pretty amazing that they were, I was, I worked sidelines, my first ever CFL game with those guys uh, being there. But yeah, the idea that Rod was there doing radio hits and he did them, I swear to God, for an hour, like he was talking to whoever was in the East and then he did a hit with TSN Montreal and then he was on with TSN Toronto, like as we're boarding the flight he's giving a recap of how Keenan LaFrance uh, or, you know, Calvin McCarty on a fake punt played an important role in that game. And I'm just like, this dude is a machine. I like, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe that he was doing that as I'm like wandering onto the plane being like, does anybody have any electrolyte? Because my body was just like <laughs> gut rot from four days of being a complete idiot. So uh, anyways, that's, that, there's some Rod Black stories for you. I hope that uh, people don't get too tired of that stuff. Cause it is, it's great. It's iconic. It's fun. And, uh, and it's, I'm sure there'll be lots of stuff like that that will come out. I'm sure, hey, I could do an entire podcast with Dwayne Ford just being like, tell me Rob Black stories. And, yeah. and he could do that for me. So uh, I'm very, very <laughs> thankful to have those interactions with him. I um, remember uh, one time I was on the sidelines talking to John Salavantis, uh, your former uh, radio uh, cohort uh, yep. there on TSN 1150. And I was talking to him on the sidelines uh, before a Ticats game. And this is probably an hour before kickoff. <laughs> And and Rod Black, all you hear is his voice. John, he just yells to <laughs> coach, and he's just like, coach, coach. He comes over and he's like, I watched Last Chance You. I did not know you coached that Independence. I told, college. I told Rod that I was the one. We were on the road in Calgary, and I, uh, you know, of course, I'm like young broadcaster who is taking a cab ride with Rod Black and Dwayne Ford to go from walkthrough, I think back to, this is one of those days I dove into that room. I probably wasn't, I supposed to, and then it finishes and it's like, Hey guys going back to the hotel. Yeah. What hotel? Okay. We're in the same one. Sure. All right, Marsh, come with us. And we get in this rental car and we're driving back and I'm just like quiet and nervous and trying to think of something like smart or witty to say to Rod Black so that he'll like me. And he starts talking about, Oh, last chance. Last chance. He's one of the greatest shows. I mean, it's, have you seen this? I mean, do you watch this show? I mean, it is. And he just high energy is talking to me. Oh, it's the greatest. I go, yeah. Do you know, coach Sal coached it at Indy? What? <laughs> Lost his mind. He's like, I, I gotta, I gotta talk to him. I gotta talk. And so you ended up being on the butt end of my introduction to coach John Salavantis and, uh, and the idea that he had been around that school and in that J yeah. conference and it's so funny because you know the way coach sal responded to last chance you he was not a fan of oh the God. head coach and the way he uh, acted and the way he treated those kids and coach sal just is like rod it's, it's horrible 
It's horrible. <laughs> the show's horrible. The coach is horrible. He's like, it's 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 horrible. <laughs> the entire thing is bad. He was so angry. Like, oh, so angry. I, I know. It's the angriest I've ever seen him before. And he also talked to people who still live back in Independence, Kansas, who like that guy's was, not there anymore, right? Because uh, he had he charges was, laid against him. I think him. he was either in jail or probation or something i know jason brown i believe is his name that was yeah. the, the coach but uh anyways here's uh here's my favorite rod black call uh <laughs> from the last while again talk we start this conversation about all of the uh you know how quick you have to be on your feet calling a game and this to me is just wonderful this call and uh, i've always appreciated this this i think from 2019 if i'm not mistaken i think this was labor day Straveler wants to tuck it and go with it himself and he gets hit <laughs> The Strevler dusts a guy, bashing, <laughs> crashing, thrashing his way down. I'm like, what a dictionary. I'm like, this guy is just like rhyme time out the backside. And uh, and I, yeah, he's, he's a cool dude. So anyways, we've talked way too much about Rod Black. And I'm sure if he ever gets wind of us talking this much about him, he'll just think that we're idiots for spending this much time on him. But I love the dude. <laughs> so uh, let's dive into the CFL games, Kyle, that came out of week number 11 here. You were saying right before we came on. Whew, man, it was easy to write three articles instead of five, uh, like the previous week, because we yeah. are, we're finally through the unbalanced part of the season. Now we've got ourselves Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday. Playoff Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Although no. we have a triple header Saturday. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, I'm not a fan. I used to be a fan of the triple headers. I'm not a fan anymore. I, it's, it's too much. It's too and much. the football. Ticats are right in the middle. Yes. Are they, they in the middle? They're, yeah, they're, the, they're the intro game, actually. They're the, oh, four they're the first game. Okay, so it's yeah. 4, 7, 10. So, so the schedule coming up this next week, week 12, is going to be Toronto at Montreal on Friday night, which I'm kind of hoping I get to call that game. Uh, I think I find out on Tuesday of what the schedule is going to be for me going forward. But um, Toronto-Montreal is on Friday night. Ottawa-Hamilton in Hamilton uh, with the quarterbacking situation and stuff we'll talk about in a second. For both those teams, it's kind of interesting. BC is at Winnipeg uh, on depending on where you are, Saturday afternoon, evening. And then the nightcap is a 9.45 p.m. Eastern time start with Saskatchewan and Calgary in that one. So uh, going back here, week 11, uh, the 26-16 to 16 win for the Bombers. They clinch a playoff spot, not shocking considering where they stand right now. But uh, they have now won seven straight. They're off to their best start since 1960. Uh, I'm kind of laughing during this game, Kyle, to myself because I – I wrote an article on CFL Day last, uh, CFL.ca last week about how to beat the Bombers. If you're going to beat them, how are you going to do it? And for a while there, basically until halftime, early third quarter, the formula that I had laid out based off of the Argonauts victory in week three, I'm not going to say it was perfect, but it, it was kind of similar. I was like, man, time of possession and a couple of turnovers here and there. And then Winnipeg was just like, mm, you know what? Actually, we're just going to decide to go ahead and beat you up up front. And even with Andrew Harris being out because he gets dinged on his touchdown, Brady Oliveira comes in, 16 carries, 105 yards, averaging 6.6 average. Harris was averaging 6.5 before that. Nick Dembski gets a couple of touches, 7.5 yards per carry. Uh, it, they just they found a way. And again, they don't want Kalaros to throw more than 25 times. What's he end up with? 15 of 24 two touchdowns, one interception, not a huge yardage day, but didn't have to be, especially when you're playing against Taylor Cornelius and he's just going to complete like 50 some odd percent of his passes. Yeah. Uh, this game was interesting from the fact of I did see some cracks in Winnipeg that I hadn't seen earlier mm -hmm. this season. 
Um, and again, I know they have offensive line issues in terms of injuries, um, but their offensive line at times got pushed around in that game. Zach was running for his life multiple occasions. Um, and you could tell it really knocked them off his spot. Um, Kalaros, there was a lot of throws he probably liked to have back. Um, as for Edmonton, I don't know where, and again, we'll talk about the Trevor Harris trade, but if they think Taylor Cornelius, and again, he's in his first season and you know he's, he's shown some promise, but what bar are we giving him? Because he's a rookie, I feel like too many times we give these quarterbacks absolute carte blanche to, hey, go out there and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Like, go out there and, and have whatever type of performance that you want. Like, Cornelius at times this year, he's had games where he's thrown three touchdowns and three interceptions, and they've lost. Right. They've lost to the Ottawa Red Blacks twice. Like, for Cornelius, and look, Dakota Prukop is is – for me is whatever Dakota Krukop, uh, Dakota Prukop is never going to be a starting quarterback in the CFL. He, he's simply not. He's a guy that can come in and be a change of pace guy um, and run a certain package, but over and over again, you don't want him in the game, especially trying to lead you back from a deficit. And, but on the broadcast, I was watching it and it was like, you, you think that Taylor Cornelius would, and, and hearing Jamie Elizondo talk about it, you think Cornelius threw for, threw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns, and it's no. He, yeah, he had a touchdown pass, and he didn't throw an interception. I guess that's a positive. But at the end of the day, what's the bar for these guys? Mm-hmm. And I just look at Edmonton, and I think, okay, it's it's over. The season the season's done. And again, it's it's a loss to Winnipeg. There's no shame in that because Winnipeg is, I think, separated themselves from everybody else in the CFL. But just the, the fake confidence in a quarterback that now you've traded a veteran for just blows my mind. When I was on TSN 1260 in Edmonton last week, I believe on Friday morning, they asked me about the change and what it will accomplish. And I, I hold by what I said, which is it's change for change's sake. Cornelius is not the answer. This is change because something has to be changed. And the easiest thing to do is to swap out your starting quarterback. And then subsequently, a couple of days later, to trade who was your starting quarterback. But, and I don't, I don't say this to slander Taylor Cornelius and his career. I hope he has a great career. I hope it's in the CFL. I hope he's very productive. I hope that Edmonton, but I'm telling you, man, the amount of promise that is put into a quarterback who's proven little to nothing is shocking. And it speaks to a larger issue for me with the way that Edmonton is crafting and cultivating their roster. The idea that this person is is the solution. You only make the move to start somebody, bench your starting quarterback from the start of the year, and then trade him. If you see so much promise in them that you say, this is our future unquestionably going forward, a la Cody Fajardo. Like what Cody Fajardo, and I understand that Zach ended up getting moved to Toronto and then to Winnipeg, and that was because of injury and whatnot. But when Fajardo came in at the start of 2019, it was shaky for like a game or two. And then he figured it out. Like he really figured it out and he got better and he showed improvement. And he took me from thinking, oh, that's just a short yardage quarterback. Fajardo was never going to be a guy. And all of a sudden you started seeing him actually playing at a high level. And you're like, okay, that's the Riders quarterback. And sure enough, off season, it's, you know, I believe you signed the contract or whatever it was where they're saying, yes, we are committed to you. And it's like, that's how that's supposed to work. You prove yourself. They say, okay, you've proven yourself enough that let's give you some money. Let's send you to a contract. Going into 2022, which keep in mind, like 
six months from now, we're talking about kicking off another season. Why would you go into training camp thinking that Taylor Cornelius is the starting quarterback of the Edmonton Elks? You wouldn't. Like, based on what you've seen, no. you'd, have, you'd have to say, well, they're going to have to bring in some other people. Prukop's not the answer. I don't think Cornelius is the answer. So why do you start him? Because something's got to change, and you're not going to fire your coach middle of the season, and you're not going to let go Brock Sunderland in the middle of the season. So it's like it's the first stage. The next thing is probably an offensive assistant or two because, well, they can take the blame. It's like, But shifting blame around and finding tinkering with these things, I'm not sure is really going to fix it. And this is the most concerning stat for me. This was a great find by J.C. Abbott that does some work over at Three Down Nation. He sent this out, and I just before I read this, I'll say – I've got respect for what Jamie Elizondo does, where he's been, and Brock Sunderland's eye for talent. But this stat says to me, what the hell are we doing when it comes to Taylor Cornelius? J.C. Abbott tweets out, worth noting as this game comes down to the wire, and it was Winnipeg and Edmonton, obviously, on Friday night. He said, Taylor because none of us really dug into the XFL history of him, right? All we heard was, well, Tampa Bay Vipers, he was down there. He was around Elizondo. Yeah. And El- Elizondo saw enough from him in the XFL that he was like, I got to get this guy up here. And he brings him up. And now he puts all this trust and faith in him. And he thinks that he's the better quarterback against Trevor Harris. And so it's very obvious that they have a ton of belief in what he can do. And you would think, well, they must have seen some crazy stuff in the XFL. J.C. Abbott's tweet says Taylor Cornelius threw three game-ending interceptions in five XFL starts. Wow. (laughs) He threw three game-ending interceptions in five XFL starts. He has four fourth-quarter interceptions in two CFL starts. So (laughs) you've seen enough of the guy in the XFL to understand, ooh, that was a bit of a flaw. He comes to the CFL, it's the same flaw. So why are you why are you investing in him? Like and and that's the the consistently the thought to me is it's just it's holding over. But if it's just holding over, then why are we acting like he's the solution when he's not? And I think the answer to that is they are just hoping to get through, and he's the best available yeah. option to just get through whatever this is. Now, whether anybody exists on the other side of whatever this mess is, I don't know. So the thing that kind of perturbs me um, watching the Edmonton Elks. They, they've lost five games in a row. The last game they won, Trevor Harris threw for four touchdown passes against Calgary on Labor Day. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, maybe Trevor Harris is back. But because he returned back down to earth and he's not the regular Trevor Harris that we saw, Edmonton all of a sudden turns the page on a quarterback to go with Taylor Cornelius essentially pushing you know trevor harris out the door now to montreal and now i'm thinking it's clear that taylor cornelius is not a better quarterback and he's committing the same mistakes that trevor harris did when he was a starting quarterback but you trust taylor cornelius to figure stuff out taylor cornelius is not fresh out of college i hate to tell everybody it's been a hot minute since he played at oklahoma state right and Now, if you're Edmonton, and it really kind of pissed me off as a fan of the CFL, knowing what Taylor or knowing what Trevor Harris has accomplished in this league, hearing Jamie Elizondo talk so casually about, yeah, you know, we're going forward with the Dakota Prukop and uh, Taylor Cornelius as as quarterback, uh, and we believe we can get better play out of that position. And I'm thinking, (laughs) first off, you have way more holes in your team than you think. 
their entire team is is broken. Maybe you as a play caller probably should relinquish your play calling duties because whatever you're doing isn't working. Like you have so many weapons on the outside and Greg Ellingson looks like he's a national receiver on the wide side of the field that gets three targets a game. And Darrell Walker's pissed. Yeah, and Darrell Walker's pissed off. Mind you, Darrell Walker, he was pissed off. And then the next play, he had a drop. Crazy yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't great. I, I The casual nature of saying we're going with 15 and 14, for me, the highlight of the week when it comes to media clips was at the start of the press conference. Uh, can we get an update on what's happening? Cornelius taking a lot of the starting reps. Elizondo. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going forward with 15 and 14 here. Uh, Dave from Chad follows up with, what does that mean for seven? because <laughs> uh, we're just talking in numbers uh you know uniform jersey number there so uh dave having the quick wit to come back with that i thought was kind of interesting but yeah my my final wrap my thought on this is if you were to put money down on somebody to figure it out get better and and help them going forward beyond this season my money would still be on trevor harris yeah so if it boils down to that simple of a decision of who will who is most likely to figure it out who's most likely to be productive it would still be Trevor Harris and for you to turn your back on Trevor Harris and move him, which we'll get to the trade after we recap these other two games of the weekend. But um, that's, that's pretty interesting that they made that decision and they made it so definitively as well. A couple of more things on this. First off, if you're Edmonton ownership at this point, you're two and seven on the season. How do you allow Brock Sunderland to make that trade to just say, Oh, Oh yeah. The star quarterback. The reason why we brought in the head coach so he could partner up with his old running mate in Ottawa and we're just going to trade him. Like, for me, I'm thinking, whew, you have a lot of confidence in a general manager that might be working for his job right now and a head coach that in his first year has has not looked good. Um, So that's one. Second thing, this is very, very similar to something that happened in 2019. Zach Kalaros goes to Winnipeg. Oh, Zach Kalaros is done. Goes to Winnipeg and wins a great cup. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Trevor Harris is going to go to Montreal and win a great cup. All I'm, th- all I'm saying is it would be hard for me. I don't know the health of Vernon Adams Jr. If he is done for the season, that Matthew Schiltz is going to hold on to his starting job. Yeah, yeah. It's just the nature of Matthew Schiltz. And that's not a disparaging comment to him. I think he's a good backup quarterback. Um, but if Trevor Harris gets the reins and maybe rolls into Edmonton or rolls into Hamilton on, you know, in an East final, I'm not saying it scares me, but Trevor Harris <laughs> yeah. has, has, you know, he's ripped apart the Ticats before. What was it? 2018 East final. Yeah. But also 2019 East final in Hamilton with Edmonton. He looked pretty pedestrian after he yeah. ripped, ripped apart Montreal. So it's um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. It's we, I don't think there's a lot to say on the Montreal Ottawa game. Schultz 21 to 34, 281 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Caleb Evans goes 12, 23. I will get to the Caleb Evans stuff in a second. Cause I do have a strong opinion on Caleb Evans here and in, in the Ottawa quarterbacking situation moving forward. Uh, but Uh, I guess we can just dive into a little bit on the trade right now because it is Montreal that we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. it is Schultz. Um, Aside from Cameron Artis Payne going 19 carries for 83 yards, not a great average, but they consistently gave the ball to him. There was a lot of rain in that game. The weather was tough. Uh, They were protecting Schultz, I think, a little bit. So many sacks given up by Ottawa. But in terms terms of the trade, uh, 
my I, I wrote an article on CFL.ca that's out today here on Monday about this that is basically saying what you just said, Kyle, of it's possible that this could be Zach Kalaros of 2021. Here's here's the reasons that I lay out in the article why this is potentially similar, right? Both teams have an established running game with a powerful back or two in Montreal following the emergence of Cameron Arnes Payne alongside William Stanback, the same way Andrew Harris was for the Bombers in 2019. They're capable of controlling the time of possession, and you just have to supplement that with effective quarterback play. Both teams are lingering in the mid-pack of the divisional playoff picture with anything possible heading down the stretch, and both teams have an unproven backup quarterback, although Matthew Schiltz has shown more in the passing game than Chris Strebler ever did a note that is heavily weighed with the context of Strevler's unique skill set in the running game, which served a crucial purpose for the Bombers in their 2019 Grey Cup run. The secret sauce to unlock Winnipeg's Grey Cup potential in 2019 was adding a veteran passer in Kolaros who could operate the run-based offense at a high level, make checks at the line of scrimmage while trusting his experienced eyes and converting a higher percentage of second down passing downs. So Harris comes in, steals the starting role immediately from Schultz and the Alouettes, who are set to romp through Toronto, Hamilton, and likely Winnipeg on their way to the 2021 Grey Cup. Never say never, but this is where the biggest question mark exists for me. Style. When Kolaros came to Winnipeg, the system fit him perfectly. The approach of Paul Apelis and now Buck Pierce's offensive coordinators accessed the best parts of Kolaros' skill set without asking their backfield savior to overextend himself. In Montreal, the approach has consistently been to let it fly anytime the opportunity presents itself. Vernon Adams Jr. pairing with head coach Kahari Jones was arguably as much a match made in heaven as Kolaros with the Bombers coaching staff. But what about Harris? Based on what we've seen of Harris play in the last couple of seasons, he can best be characterized as an effective short and intermediate thrower who uses his quick release and decision-making to pick defenses apart. Harris is one of the few CFL quarterbacks patient enough to take checkdowns and throw short of the sticks all game if that's what the defense is giving him. How will that mesh with Kahari Jones' aerial attack? Your guess is as good as mine at this point, but there has to be a style fusion somewhere in the middle. It can't be 80-20 Montreal bombs away bonanza or 70-30 Harris cautious calculated dinks and dunks. Somewhere between those two approaches lays a real opportunity for the Alouettes to find a sweet spot of maximizing both approaches, but it will take a lack of ego and a willingness to evolve in short order for both parties to progress. Uh, so that that's just a chunk of the article that I wrote, but the whole idea being Trevor doesn't play like Vernon and Kahari doesn't coach people to play like Trevor, but now you have Trevor. So if you get Trevor and Trevor has this ingrained style and you're coaching it a different way, how do you find a way that this, because there, again, there's a chance here for them to find this sweet spot that could be really, really dynamic. But my fear is Trevor comes in, Kahari wants to throw it vertically. All of a sudden, the receivers aren't getting those shots. The offense feels completely differently. And if it does feel that different, and if it is that difficult for Trevor to evolve in short order because the style doesn't directly match his, or if the play calling is too difficult for Kahari to to evolve, this has the potential of being ugly, is is my opinion on this. Where he goes into, and I'm not saying that it's going to be like, oh my God, blow up the team and Kahari gets fired and Machocha's an awful GM. (laughs) Because they're making this move because there is, I would say, a 30-40% chance that they strike gold on this and they go on a bit of a run. The other 60% does scare me, though. And that 60%, the reason it scares me is because it could turn out that this is just oil and water. And it, it just doesn't match. And if it doesn't match, I don't know how they would be productive and how they would get wins. Yeah, here's my thing on this. Even if Trevor Harris goes to Montreal and they stick to the current offense they have, in you know, or at least the one that Vernon Adams Jr. was running, and they were bombing away. 
um, consistently um, and really attacking, um, you know, downfield. I still think it's a better situation than the Alouettes are currently in with Matthew Schiltz. I just, I, I look at Schiltz and I think yeah. whatever kind of vanilla version they're trying to run of that Vernon Adams Jr. offense. Um, and again, it's a different offense because Matthew Schiltz, you know, doesn't have the athletic ability of, uh, of Vernon Adams Jr. Um, it, it's not great. And even that game over the weekend, it, it wasn't great Montreal. And maybe that was the reason why Machocha pulled the trigger on, on this trade and, you know, get Trevor Harris to, to Montreal and, and see what he can do. Um, I will say this, there's going to come a time in the next three weeks where Trevor Harris gets the reins to be mm-hmm. starting quarterback um, in a game. And if you look at their schedule, schedule is not easy. Um, they have a game against Winnipeg. They have a game against the Riders. I think they have two games against Winnipeg and one game against the Riders. It's a, yeah, it's a tough stretch right now. And if you think you're going to go on the road in two of those games, I believe, and defeat one of those Western opponents with Matthew Schiltz as your quarterback, where he's, you know, attacking downfield and throwing the football, good luck. Cause it's not going to happen. And maybe Trevor Harris can come in there. And like you said, some sort of consistency, whether it's a dink and dunk game or, or something like that. Um, and Trevor Harris and, and, you know, Dave Campbell brought this up on Ched. He said from the opening game this season, he just saw the, the velocity just drop from Trevor Harris. The zip he was putting on the ball just wasn't there this year. And that's really interesting to me because I remember being in his preseason conference call where he was talking about going through the TB12 method and wanting to extend the longevity of his career and uh, how he feels fresher than ever and he's happier than ever and how he's primed for success and all this stuff. And then for Dave, who's there every day to see that, yeah, and to, and to feel that is pretty damning because you can extend the longevity of your career and feel fresh as ever and your joints feel great and all the rest. But this business as a quarterback is about making throws and about making yeah. throws in the CFL on second down. And yeah. if you can't make throws on second down, there's not a lot of place for you. So I'm for me as a bit of a an offensive nerd uh, when it comes to the Canadian Football League, I'm excited, honestly, to see things like the run pass play call percentage to see the average depth of target for Harris versus Vernon Adams Jr. Harris in Montreal versus Harris in Edmonton this year versus Harris in Ottawa a couple of years ago. Like there's a lot of data points here that we can look at and assess. And uh, I will be doing that here on CFP going forward uh, for the remainder of the season. I will give you updates probably on the breakdown because it fits that show a little bit more, but, but that will be uh, something that I'll, I'll be keeping a really close eye on going forward. Yeah. Uh, just for further context, uh, Dave Campbell, he is very vocal and he doesn't know if this Taylor Cornelius experiment is going to work. He's like, I understand the purpose of trying him out. Um, but the road forward with Taylor Cornelius, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> like simply, I don't know. So uh, we'll see what happens there. There's no way you can be a star quarterback with the last name Cornelius, right? <laughs> like just based on name alone, like completely forget about the player and the, the big arm and all the rest. Like if your name is Cornelius, I just, that just doesn't feel like a starting good. Now, if you give me an Evans, Ooh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb Evans, <laughs> yeah, either of them, uh, <laughs> but you know, watching that game o- over the weekend with, with Edmonton, they kept twice on the broadcast. They went into this like big expose on, 
Oh, you know, Cornelius, when he was at Oklahoma State, uh, he went toe-to-toe with Kyler Murray. And I'm like, he lost. <laughs> and that's college football. And I understand we're, hey, you know, especially hey, in the Big 12 where it's stupid hey, scores. Toe-to-toe, Kyle. Okay. That's all we need. Toe-to-toe. <laughs> but I'm like, for this being validation for why he should start in the Canadian Football League, Say what you want about the Canadian Football League, even if you're the biggest pessimist of Canadian Football League quality, players, whatever. They're still professionals. They're not kids. And it's much different throwing in the Big 12 where they don't play a lick of defense. Anybody watch that Red River rivalry game? (laughs) There was no defense, not at all between Texas and Oklahoma. The Big 12, look at Baylor. All those years where they just put up stupid statistics, right? And, you know... uh, I just, I look at this and, you know, Robert Griffin, the third and, you know, the stats he used to put up and I'm like, yeah, that's in the big 12 where nobody plays defense. Not one person plays, not one team plays defense. And I thought that Cornelius topic of, oh, you went toe to toe with Kyler Murray was just a waste of time. Uh, I have two more college football notes for you here before we recap the final game of week number 11. One, How's Marshall doing? Uh, not good. It's a very bad year. It's not great. Uh, but I will say this. You want to talk going toe-to-toe, right, against an Oklahoma quarterback? Dane Evans went toe-to-toe with Baker Mayfield in Norman. And he doesn't play in the Big 12. Right. Uh, and so it's like, and Dane Evans has a big arm and all the rest. It's like, so if we're playing the toe to toe game, real run back the tape of the Oklahoma game. I asked Dane one time, where's the favorite place you ever played? He said East Carolina was the best environment because they do this whole thing when they start the fourth quarter where like yeah. the, you know, the pirate flag goes up and the stands all turn black and they play music. And it's just like this cool pirate theme thing. But he said, in terms of fans, Oklahoma in that game was great. And I looked up the stats for it and it's on YouTube, the full game of Dane Evans for Tulsa going into yeah. uh, playing against the Oklahoma Sooners but, and Baker Mayfield. And it's like, that that's some toe-to-toe bleep right there. Yeah, we can do this all day, right? I remember uh, Caleb Evans uh, going toe-to-toe against well, Louisiana Lafayette. So and he combined for five touchdowns at Louisiana Monroe. By the way, shout out. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, Louisiana Monroe, that's my other note here. Uh, they just <laughs> they just beat Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just beat, I believe. Is Ken still there? I think he's still there. I don't know what he's doing. Is he past game? Is the dude still in the hospital bed calling plays? Uh, Hugh Freeze <laughs> uh, is his name. And uh, he, I believe, is still there. I know that people are talking about the potential of Hugh Freeze going to the University of Miami because it's all about the Hugh. Uh, <laughs> but because, um, God, I mean, they, they're a wreck down there, the University of Miami. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking up. Uh, sorry, I'm just stumbling around here. Yeah, Louisiana Monroe. I was listening to a college football podcast and they just mentioned uh, that this was so. So <laughs> Liberty was five and one coming in and Louisiana Monroe was uh, two and three. And in the third quarter, Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawks scored 28 unanswered points in the third quarter of that ball game. Uh, it's amazing. So Malik Willis, the star quarterback for Kent Austin, 16 of 28 for 135 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in the entire collegiate football world. 23 carries, 157 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and in terms of Louisiana Monroe, they didn't even great get a great performance out of their quarterback, 16 to 25 for 225. Brushing. 15 carries for 80 yards for their starting tailback for a 5.3 average. I'm like, 
okay, Liberty loses, Ken Austin loses, Hugh Freeze yeah. loses, and it's Caleb Evans. Which brings me is just a long way of saying I wanted to get this uh, take off my chest about Caleb Evans. And I have a feeling on Wednesday there will be a very spirited debate between myself and Derek Taylor on this. If you are the Ottawa Red Blacks, do not look at the results. I get it's a results-based business. But if you're the Ottawa Red Blacks, do not look at the results of what Caleb Evans has done the last couple of weeks and banish him for Duck Hodges. Okay? And here's why I say this. That Devlin Hodges comes in and he was the savior. And, oh, my God, he played a couple of games for the Steelers. Okay, cool. Congratulations. You got figured out and you didn't end up staying as the starter there. If you decide in Ottawa to reset the quarterback uh, you know, time warp here and go, well, we went with – uh, Matt Nichols, that didn't work. Okay, let's reset. Dominique Davis. Oh, they figured him out. Not good. Okay, let's move on. Next down the line, Caleb Evans. Oh, okay, that's not going great. If you reset it again and you go to Devon Hodges, guess what you're going to do? He's going to have a decent first start, maybe a good second start. Third, <laughs> third start's going to come, and you're going to be right where you are with Caleb Evans right now. And the reason that I say let Caleb Evans play, keep him in, every single mistake that he makes is correctable. Every single, we just saw this. We just talked about this in Edmonton, Kyle. The easiest thing to do is to bench a quarterback or to move on to a different quarterback. It's yeah. the easiest thing. You make a roster move and it's like, hey, look, we fixed it. Your job as a coaching staff is to coach and develop. You're not always going to be handed Michael Riley, who comes as a prepackaged, perfect, hey, here's what he's going to do. Have a great touchdown interception ratio. Knows when to take the deep ball. Knows how to make checks at the line of scrimmage. Sometimes you got to develop people. Like, I feel like we lose the sight of coaches actually coaching and developing. Yeah. Paul Apolise knows what he's doing, creating that offense, play calling, all the rest. Paul Apolise needs right now to invest in Caleb Evans and develop him. Because I'm telling you, there is something there. There is something that is going to be successful there. And when I say every, every throw he makes that he's made poorly is correctable, it's about decision-making but it's also just about adjusting to the CFL game. Like he throws a couple of balls in week 10 way behind receivers. And it's because he's throwing without the laces. The dude very obviously doesn't know how to throw with the laces yet. That's a skill that has to be developed. That's something you can actually improve on in practice. If you work it consistently, like the quick game throwing without the laces where you're in the shotgun snap comes up, yeah. just grab it, turn, rip it. You got to have that ability in the CFL because that's, that's a skill that he doesn't have that he needs to. After they got a turnover in this game against Montreal, he throws an interception on the very next play. It's your typical young quarterback, back foot, poor decision, throws it up, shouldn't put it in that spot. That's teaching tape. What the, what's the point of having teaching tape if you're going to pull the rug out from underneath the guy as the third, fourth string quarterback and say, we're going to give it to this other guy and let see whether or not he makes bad decisions? Like, I don't know what the long-term plan in Ottawa is. I know it ain't Dominique Davis. I know it ain't Matt Nichols. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be Doc Hodges? Maybe, but he, there's a good chance that he gives you just enough over the next three, four weeks. If you decide to play him that he lingers into 2022 and then he starts the year. Now there's film out on him with a bad start to 2022. I'm telling you, you, you need to ride the adversity of this situation with Caleb Evans, teach him, coach him, develop him, believe in him, invest in him. If you do that, I'm telling you that guy can play as a starting quarterback in the CFL. Yeah. Um, the reason why I tend to agree with you on, on this is, and you just mentioned it, it, it's always easier to fire a coach and not fix your roster because it's an easier job. You just fire the coach. 
instead of rebuilding an entire roster. It doesn't so fix that, it doesn't fix anything. No, I'm no, sorry no. to interrupt you, but I'll also say this. It's kind of like in, in relationships or in business, the easiest thing to do is to break up or to fire somebody. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything. Like what fixes those solutions is putting effort in and going through the tough times yeah. in order to make them better. Yeah, and it's the same thing in Edmonton, right? It's easier to change your quarterback than look at your entire roster. And that's why in Ottawa, uh, that's why I tend to agree with you in terms of Caleb Evans, you know, staying in there and see what he has. Um, because I don't think the measuring stick for Caleb Evans is going to happen in 2021. I think it's going to be next year. When you finally have, or hopefully in, in Ottawa, um, you know, a better roster because that roster in Ottawa is bad. That offensive line was atrocious over the weekend, <laughs> like 10 sacks where they were three sacks short of uh, Montreal was uh, three sacks short of the record. Um, so like moving forward for, for Ottawa and, and Paul Lapolis, and that's the thing I like about Lapolis because he knows there are brighter days for the organization. Just right now, it is tough, mm-hmm. but it's about instilling one confidence in Caleb Evans and instilling, you know, some sort of competitive roster that can be anybody else in the CFL, not named Edmund. <laughs> uh, the, the one last thing I'll say on Ottawa here in, in terms of Lapalise and their decision-making going forward and how they're building the roster is I've heard that, everybody and this is important everybody is dumping on Marcel Desjardins because he's the GM and they assume that that was um, you know the Arbuckle Nichols thing that not necessarily saying that Arbuckle would have solved all of this but it would have been better than Nichols at the start of the year everyone says well Marcel's the general manager and therefore he's the one that deserves all the blame and this roster doesn't have enough talent and he deserves to be crushed like there was retirements and and there was people deciding to sit out this season in the offensive line we all know that the injury to Jalen Saunders obviously impacted them I also was told by somebody that it was Lapo who was the one who was beating the table campaigning for Matt Nichols like he was the one that was essentially wanting control of who his quarterback was going to be and uh, if that's true, Marcel does not deserve the blame for that situation. It, it, there might be some other things. I'm not saying that he's completely absolved of all of that, but everybody is saying, well, he's the one that should receive all of the blame for all of the roster decision-making. I think Lapo had a bigger hand based on what I've heard in constructing this roster and making the decision of where to go at quarterback than people realize. Yeah. And, if, and if that's true, then Marcel does, it does deserve another shot because it's very convenient for us, again, to just the simple fix is, we'll fire Marcel and give Lapo the, the responsibilities. Well, if Lapo was the one that, that wanted to make some of these choices on personnel that were questionable, as I've been told, then maybe you should look at that differently. Maybe Marcel is not broken. Maybe they get a couple of people back. Maybe they build yeah. through the draft. Maybe Benavides is a great defensive coordinator and they become a team that's based in defense and finds a running back. There's so much potential there. But my main point is, you've got Caleb Evans in-house. Okay, coach him. Coach him. It's it's really important to the next couple of years of the Ottawa Red Blacks to work on turning a quarterback into a player and not just hoping that you can get someone off the neg list and drop them in and they're great. Because that's not how this normally works. Yeah, in terms of, you know, Paul LaPolice uh, probably playing a bigger part in constructing the roster in Ottawa in terms of bringing Matt Nichols in and things like that. Um, if you would ask Paul Lapolis who would want as quarterback before the season started, he probably wouldn't have said, or he definitely wouldn't have said um, Dominic Davis, and he probably wouldn't have said Matt Nichols, right? But it was about necessity. 
he wanted another quarterback in there that wasn't Dominique Davis because we saw what Dominique Davis was. And again, that was with a bad roster. Um, but we saw Dominique Davis again this year and again, and it's probably another bad roster. Um, but there's really nothing there. Now, I don't think Paul Lapelis didn't expect Matt Nichols to come in with a Johnny Damon noodle arm um, <laughs> and not be able to throw, you know, 20 yard out routes and one hopping into receivers. Um, but that's the situation that it was put at Paul Lapelis's feet. And we're going to try to figure it out, um, you know, moving forward in Ottawa. But if you're a Red Blacks fan, the guy that you want in charge is there in Paul Lapelis. And yeah. Again, he was a CFL head coach before, um, before he, you know, slotted back into that um, offensive coordinator position in, in Winnipeg and obviously won a great cup and was one of the most um, innovative offenses that the CFL has seen in the last little while. And I understand that. Um, but that guy has proven himself over and over and over again of being able to work with the pieces he has. Now you can't work with absolutely nothing. And I don't want to say in Ottawa, they have nothing. Um, it, it's funny that you bring up Benavides because the one thing I get every week when I watch Ottawa, man, they play hard. That defense, they yeah. play hard for, for Benavides. And from that standpoint, I, I like Ottawa because, and um, you know, we're going to be fortunate enough to see it in Hamilton um, this weekend against the Ticats. Um, and I think if you're Hamilton, you better bring your A game. Cause if not, this game's going to be close at the end. And the last two home games have been close at the end and they haven't gone your way. So you don't want oh. to be put in that situation. Yep. I'm with you on that. Uh, BC ends up getting beat down by the Calgary Stampeders. I want to listen in here to a little bit of Michael Riley's press conference afterwards. Cause I thought he was really, really honest and really disappointed after a stretch in which they've lost games at home to, uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Calgary, and just see themselves sliding down the West Division standings now into uh, that four spot. This was a huge game with playoff implications. Start with this. Uh, there's that's three straight losses now against West Division opponents. Playoff picture has become a lot tighter for you guys. Um, where does this team go going forward? Yeah, it obviously hasn't been a good three weeks uh, in the win loss column, but. Um, you know, at the same time, I didn't expect it to be easy, you know, just because, you know, you're sitting at like four and two. I think we were at uh, three weeks ago or three games ago. Um, if you're hoping to, you know, have six games be good enough to get you into the playoffs and you're you're in the wrong business. Right. So we knew we knew and we know moving forward that all of these games are going to be big for. Um, you know, postseason consideration and, uh, you know, certainly. Um, you know, same story where tonight was was not good enough. Um, you know, the biggest culprit being myself. I thought that was, uh, you know, one of my, um, you know, more poor performances that I've had. I uh, just didn't uh, didn't get it going. So I got to certainly be better. Um, you know, uh, I thought there was some stuff that we did well, um, you know, that we had been working on that we were trying to improve uh, run game uh, first down that type of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't get the job done, uh, importantly on second down. That was, uh, that was where the biggest struggles lied. Uh, so that is Mike Riley being pretty difficult on himself and understandably. So after a tough loss and after a series of tough losses in this stretch uh, that they've had at home, I mean, it's, I don't know if there is a clear cut solution to this. I don't know why they look so different without lucky whitehead is the other thing that is frustrating to me watching BC right now, Calgary. 
played well. I mean, they get the big return. Bo looks like he was more comfortable. Uh, but Calgary still doesn't really scare me. Like it's it really this, this to me felt like BC was sliding backwards more than Calgary was moving forwards as a, as an organization at this point past the halfway mark. Uh, are you are you more in the camp that Calgary proved something to you in this, or that BC disappointed you? Yeah, Calgary would scare the hell out of me if I played really? them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that defense is very good. Well, <laughs> Jameer Thurman saying we're back, we're back, everybody be scared of us. That actually scared me because uh, uh, <laughs> in that post game interview, I was like, oh my god, if he's like, yeah. if he's coming out and saying this, he must really believe this. Yeah, it, it's funny because when the Stampeders were struggling early on in the season, I said, everybody just wait. I think the Stamps are just going to bounce back, and then they they went further down the standings, and I was thinking maybe 2021 is just not the Stampeders' year. And now here they come and a little bit later than I thought, um, but they're coming. Um, if I'm Winnipeg, I'm not worried because I don't think Winnipeg should be worried about anybody. Um, if I'm Saskatchewan, I'm definitely worried. That's a team that just beat you twice. They went to BC and laid the lions their head. Right. And they're rolling and they have confidence under them. And I don't think it matters who's the quarterback right now, whether it's Bolivai Mitchell or uh, Jake Meyer. I think that team is dangerous and, I'll put it right now. And I think the Stampeders are a better football team than the Rough Riders because I look at the Riders and I, and there's something missing offensively. There's something missing. And that's how it's been that way for probably a month. And because their offense is struggling behind now it's carried over to their defense. And all of a sudden they can't stop anybody. And that's a dangerous path to go down if you're in Regina. Well, if you're looking for some confirmation on this, the last time they will play in the regular season is this coming Saturday night at the end of the CFL triple header. It's Saskatchewan, yeah. Calgary. The Stampeders beat him again for three times in four weeks. What the hell do the Riders do? And and that's that's where it gets really, really, really interesting. And I'm not cheering for that, but uh, I feel like I need to summon Chris Mad Dog Russo here uh, when we're talking about this because I do remember... Uh, Mad Dog saying uh, a little bit something like this. I root for drama. There you go. Uh, I, I do root for the drama when it comes to this because seeing Calgary rise from the ashes and strike the Saskatchewan Rough yeah. Riders would be a hell of a storyline in 2021. And you heard uh, Michael Riley talk about their struggles in BC right now. Well, here you go, BC. You have to go to Winnipeg. Well, Okay, is Winnipeg just going to put the knife in the back of BC? And it's like, okay, the Lions, we thought they were back. They're not back. Right. And all of a sudden, they've fallen way back in the standings and way behind the rest of the teams in the West Division and potentially a crossover situation <laughs> with Hamilton. Um, but I think this, this week is so important to yep. how the home stretch of the standings are going to play itself out. Um, Winnipeg, they clinched the playoff spot, correct, with that yep. win uh, over the weekend. I think Winnipeg, I mean, was it one more win and they clinch first place in the East Division? And it's like, I put in my article, you know, this week uh, when I was talking about the Bombers, I'm like, one thing we do know for sure, and we don't know a lot of things for sure in the CFL, but one thing we do know for sure, the road to Hamilton and the Great Cup is going to go through Winnipeg. You're going to have to beat the Bombers uh, at IG Field to, to get to the Great Cup. And, you know, tracking back a little bit, I think the... The Bombers, they weren't great in Edmonton, but they got the job done. Right. And for some reason, that scares me a lot more than 
when they do play well. Well, because <laughs> when a team doesn't play well and they still beat you by double digits, say what you want about Edmonton, they're still a professional football team. And Winnipeg, I thought was bad. Like, and they still won by double digits. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'd also, just to kind of wrap this thought, uh, the team that I think has played Winnipeg in Winnipeg the toughest, Calgary. Like, going back earlier this season, I forget Jake exactly. Mayer almost beat them. Yeah, like, it was uh, fairly early on in the yep. year. My mind uh, escapes me a little bit on exactly. I think that was the first start for Jake Mayer um, after Bo went down. Was it really? If I'm not mistaken. Or it, it was one or his first or second start. I'm just looking here back. Is it was it week three? No, that was Calgary Montreal. It wasn't week two because I believe Bo was still in at that point. Week six uh, was the Labor Day rematch. Week seven. This is very entertaining podcasting. Uh, <laughs> Calgary uh, do 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 wasn't week eight. So it was his second start. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm clueless. I don't know how you use August 29th um, against Winnipeg. Okay. He went 30 of 39 for 307 yards. That's for real. Yeah. Right. And that, that's a defense that has shut everybody down in the CFL. And that's probably the best statistics against uh, Winnipeg's defense, other than uh, Nick Arbuckle <laughs> when uh, Toronto beat Winnipeg. And in Toronto, it was weird. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's going to do it for the show for us here. Again, thank you to Fox 40 for allowing us to bring this to you. Go support them. Send them a note at Fox 40 International is where you can find them on Twitter. Just be like, hey, I love the podcast. Thank you for supporting this. And you can, of course, always go to their website, fox40shop.com, shop coaching boards, gear, and more, and use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. What do you got before I leave people with Rod Black here, Kyle? All I'm going to say is... Um... Go Rock Bills. in the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Monday Night Football against Tennessee Titans. If Go. the Bills lose, we will Photoshop this sweater and hat off of my body, and we will put the Tony Gonzalez body back on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the pistachios body. Deep reference. Yeah. Deep cut from the beginnings of CFP, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I hope that people get a chuckle out of that. It's in the garbage, by the way. Oh. I, ch- I, ch- I chucked it. That's okay. My I- girlfriend's – no, because we stuck it behind our guest room bed. And then we had a guest come over for a couple of nights, uh, my girlfriend's friend, to, to sleep over. For, she's from out of town. And we were cleaning out the room for her. And we're looking. We're like, oh, we can't have her sleep in here and look past <laughs> the headboard because the headboard has like, uh, I don't know, like a fence, yep. like fencing on it. And you can see Tony Gonzalez's head in the background. She's like, that's going to scare the crap out of her if she it's wakes terrifying. up in the middle of the night. That is absolutely <laughs> terrifying. I also laughed this morning when I woke up and I saw a tweet from Matthew Beauvais, who, of course, covers the Buffalo Bills uh, in Buffalo. As Kyle and I are locked in on local reporters because that is our team. Yeah. And he, he took a picture of Nissan Stadium down there in Nashville and a little CFL tie-in here. He said, the house that Duke Williams built. Uh, because we remember that game, what was it, Tuesday Night Football in 2020, where Duke Williams actually got the, to play against uh, the Tennessee Titans and had a pretty nice game for the Bills. I believe in his first career start, had a touchdown, I think, that was the, the difference maker in that one. So Is Duke making his debut this week or I quarantine think, rules? I think so. He should yeah. be due, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what the exact date count at, but it certainly feels like we are close on that one. So yeah. uh, we will leave you with Rod Black teeing up an imaginary Grey Cup from 2020. He was always willing to have fun. <laughs> with me and always willing to accept my stupidity and uh and i always embrace everything that rod has to offer thank you for listening here to marshmallow we got great shows coming up for you all canadian on tuesday we'll have the cfp oua players of the week don't forget you can go to oua.tv watch all those games free on demand streaming for you online again oua.tv the place to go for all of that and of course myself and Derek taylor will be back on wednesday with the breakdown right here on canadian football perspective
Joined now by Rod Black of TSN live here from Regina. It is Grey Cup Radio Row. It is freezing outside, but it is hot indoors, and we are thankful to have Rod joining us. You can hear him. He is calling the game coming up for you on Sunday. Very excited to have Rod calling the game. Last year, I was pleasant enough to be able to work the sidelines as he was calling the national radio broadcast as well. Rod, thank you for joining, man. How are things? Hey, good to be here. It's, uh, it's you know, it's got the typical uh, Grey Cup flu, just it's been a crazy great cup week, man. Uh, a lot going on here in Regina. And of course, we've got this and we've got this. Yes, that is the matchup. And you know what the crazy thing I hear is, Marshall? I hear that they are thinking about going back to the boat. Really? Who would have imagined, who would have imagined we'd have the Battle of Ontario here in the heart of Saskatchewan, the first ever crossover. Um, it was going to happen. And hey, what a better way to happen. And one, I think one of the most spectacular years of our life. Uh, in 2020. Yeah, it's been a great one. It's been very seamless, of course. There's been oh. nothing complicated or strange about 2020. And it leads, to be alive. All, it leads us all to Regina in the Great Cup. And again, uh, 2020, the Great Cup Festival has been fantastic. You experienced 2013 as well when it was played the last time at Mosaic. How do those two Great Cup Festivals compare for you, 2020 to 2013? Yeah, well, you know, 2020 was, uh, 2013, first of all, was a bit of a blur. Um, you know, obviously, uh, I think it was a blur for a lot of the Hamilton Tiger Cat fans, hate to bring it up, uh, but it was very warm, I remember, you know, and I remember also going to watch all the bands like, like Loverboy and Harlequin and Sweetheart and, and um, you know, Queen City Kids, all of those CFL bands, you, you know, who would have thought in 2020 we would have had, you know, I, I was at the, uh, at the uh, Spirit of Edmonton last night and Justin Bieber played and Drake played at Toronto and to know that all of these great bands have come rolling stones to play, you know, I mean, those guys are 85 years old. That was a great concert. So the concerts have been fabulous. Uh, the festival has been absolutely incredible. And the fact that the football reporters of Canada have layered booze and I don't, I don't drink that layered booze upon booze. Like there, there are six packs and 12 and 24. And then like, there's so much alcohol in our room and free food. I mean, again, 2020 can't get any better. Yeah, it has been uh, amazing to see this all come to fruition. Uh, now let's talk just quickly here before we break down the actual matchup that you'll be calling on Sunday, which again is an incredibly unique one to see a team from the East crossing over through the West playoffs with Toronto thought. to accomplish that. But first I want to ask you your favorite Argos Grey Cup memory and your favorite Tiger Cats Grey Cup memory going into this one, the big game. Well, um, obviously I, I'd have to say um, 2017, for the Argos, I would have to say that would have been a, a big one. Um, and for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I mean, there's, that's 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good that they're finally back. Um, having said that, you know, I, that Brandon Banks return um, in BC a few years ago, I still think the Cats probably should have won the Grey Cup that year. We won't say anything about that. But, I, you know, I, I got to cling to 1999 because uh, it was also the year that uh, Charles Barkley drank out of the Grey Cup with a bunch of Hamilton Tiger Cats at the Roxy, a story that will go on forever, but will go on for another day. But those are probably my favorite Grey Cup memories. Uh, but this, I have a feeling, this game, I'm looking like at about a quadruple, maybe five overtimes. Yeah. And it's kind of like the way they played the Labor Day Classic, because the Labor Day Classic was the the greatest Labor Day Classic I think I've ever seen, you know, to, to be able to, to, to have that many touchdowns in one game. I mean, a, a final score of, you know, 72 to 69 is incredible. Yeah, and it was Jeremiah Masoli, of course, breaking his own consecutive completions record in that Labor Day Classic and being able to put up over 644 in a row. It's crazy. 
I thought that we were going to get him tracking down Matt Dunnigan when we ended up hitting halftime, and he was already at about 500 yards, but he slowed for about 200 in the second half. So yeah, was, uh, Let's get into uh, the Argonauts making it through the West in a crossover, and we never could have expected it when the year began. We've never seen this before in the era of the crossover. Uh, what has allowed them to be able to cross over and make their way here after the way they started the season? Because it was a slow start for the Argos in 2020. Yeah, you know, they had a great marsh. You know, they had a great draft. They got a lot of great Canadian talent. Getting Matt Nichols, though, was was fabulous. And Ryan Dinwiddie, I think they they meshed. But I also think the, the move after Labor Day, when Matt went, you know, uh, he had that, that bit of a, a flu bug. Um, and, and for Ricky Ray to come out of retirement, I thought was huge. And for Ricky to, to do what he has been able to do. And, you know, I don't think Ricky's going to start, obviously, Sunday. I think that would be kind of foolish because um, Matt is Matt. But, uh, you know, to have Ricky Ray, and the same thing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I mean, Jeremiah was playing so well in that game. And for Kevin Glenn to come back and out of retirement again. So, you know, I, I was kind of looking at this being a Kevin Glenn versus Ricky Ray thing, but I think Masoli versus Nichols is going to be fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's underrated the way that Pinball was able to factor in when he strapped him up in the Labor Day rematch because we didn't see that one coming either. So. Who saw? Who saw yeah. that? I mean, the, the guy, and he still got moves. Like, it's crazy. I mean, he still is the pinball, um, albeit, you know, he's got a little Geritol going. And, you know, uh, I, I thought it was a little much when he had the, you know, the, the, I know this, the controversy over the, the endorsement he shouldn't have had Viagra on his shoulder pad, but that was okay. Hey, hey. A great cup sponsored by Viagra. It always brings me up. Yeah, in a year where sponsorship has been easy to find for everyone, it's amazing that Viagra just outbid everybody to be able to get that right. Yeah, but. And, yeah well, they, they, you know, they, they, were, they were able to, you know, elevate, um, yeah. you know, to, to be able to, 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 to a, lot of, a lot of companies, you know, will either put up or shut up. They just, they just went up. Yeah, so, and they rose to the moment, certainly, for the Canadian football They rose. Team. They yeah. absolutely did. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to be a major sponsor of the 2020 Grey Cup is, is phenomenal. Uh, we have seen both Masoli and Evans, as you mentioned, at quarterback this year and Kevin Glenn earlier on in that Labor Day Classic being around the team. I thought, it was, I thought it was a little much when Kevin Glenn had to score that touchdown in the wheelchair. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a first for me. I never seen anything like that. That was great. Uh, but this year, the two quarterback system, reminiscent of 1960 with the Ottawa Rough Riders, Ron Lancaster, Russ Jackson, and being able to have it work for both guys. Um, who do you think will have a bigger impact coming up in the Grey Cup on Sunday against the Argonauts? Mm, I would say that uh, it could be a holy Masoli. I'm just saying, a holy Masoli. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the fact that, you know, he lost kind of lost a little bit of time, obviously, in 2019 to know that 2020 was going to be his year. Like, who would have thought that? 2020 would have been such a great year for so many people. But I think Jeremiah has proven that, you know, he is certainly, and, you know, to, to see him win the MVP trophy, I thought the other night was, was phenomenal. Um, even though it was the, you know, the first time ever that, you know, there were nobody actually voted and they just gave it to him. I thought that was kind of cool because that, that, that kind of, you know, like unlike that great, really fair election they had in the United States as well. I mean, who would have thought that would have happened? So um, you know, for Jeremiah, I think to, to prove that he is the MVP of 2020, I think that's, I think he's got a, a big chip on his shoulder pad this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And if Masoli does go on to win the Great Cup MOP to follow up his 2020 MOP, uh, the amazing part of the whole storyline is that he actually got part of hey, the- Hang on, hang on a second. Yeah. Huh. Rod Smith and Matt Dunnigan just rode by on the, 
Calgary Stampede. No way. Again? Yeah, yeah, they've been riding that thing all week. Anyway, sorry, go back to what you were saying. The amazing part is Dane Evans actually giving up part of the ligament in his ankle to repair the ACL of Masoli. So even if Masoli goes on to be able to win the MOP, there's actually literally a piece of Dane Evans in his body that helps him accomplish it. Marsh, that's what 2020, it's the year of sharing and caring. And um, who would have ever thought that theme being together would have ever meant so much. And, you know, I, again, I, I are the Cats favored for sure? Don't discount the Argos, man. Don't discount the – remember what happened in Ottawa against the Calgary Stampeders. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they're, they're not even – they're like they're calling for 35 degrees Celsius here. You know, I mean, that's a little cold right now, but they're going to call for 35 degrees Celsius. It's yeah. been the greatest, greatest weather Grey Cup ever in the history – of the CFL. Yeah, the El Nino Bowl, right? I think that's yeah, it's, what you're planning it's, on calling it. Absolutely. I think actually, hang on. Brian Williams just went by in a Speedo. <laughs> True. True. And the last one I got for you here, I got to ask before I let you go here from Radio Row in Regina leading up to the Great Cup call on Sunday. Matt Nichols and his partnership with Ryan Dinwiddie. Uh, we all know how beautiful Ryan Dinwiddie is. We all know how talented Matt Nichols was when he was in Winnipeg. But I'm not sure that we saw it going this way. And again, in a year where in 2019, you ended up having Winnipeg with, again, Matt Nichols on that team, being able to go on the road and win themselves three playoff games, including, of course, the Great Cup to win that championship. Nichols is trying to become a back-to-back champion by winning six straight road playoff games, which would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Matt Nichols story, and the fact that he and Ryan were able to, you know, especially after training camp, what happened in training camp, that massive scrap, and then, you know, that's kind of when the pinball thing, you know, when he came from the front office and then started playing again. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Ryan or Matt actually started. I heard it was, it was a, um, an esports thing that happened, you know, like a Madden thing. And they started fighting and, and, you know, Matt tore a fingernail and, uh, and then Ryan, you know, apparently they messed Ryan's hair up. So it you know, to have that kind of controversy for the Argos, and to be able to get through that and this, this again, this year that everything is, everything's just gone so seamless. It's, it's been like the boat. It's been smooth sailing. For them to get through that, ride through those turbulent waters, I, I just can't, I can't believe that they're all here, that we're here, that we're going to have this incredible, you know what, what it is? It's, it's 2020 vision. 2020 vision is what it was. And it, or, or 2020 hindsight, perhaps. Or maybe it's 2020. Maybe this is all a dream. Maybe it is. That is Rod Black. Again, follow him on Twitter at Rod Black TSN. Rod, thanks for dropping by Radio Row, and we'll be sure to talk to you in the post game breakdown. Okay. Hang on a second. Milt Stiegel is streaking. I got to go. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks to Rod Black for joining us on Radio Row. Have yourselves a great. What the hell did I just listen A to? great, great <laughs> cup, everybody. Ty Cats Argos on Sunday. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have yourselves a great weekend.